the New York Peace of Mind with Ricky Sobrano and Colin Henderson. Oh, you could talk a clown into committing suicide, Ricky. You just, yeah. you are just, oh, you are just so down. Not even a bring sad clown. Down, a happy clown. I could a happy, suicide. joyful clown. You could bring him down. On ESPN New Hampshire. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome into another edition of New York Peace of Mind. I'm Ricky Sobrano. Here today, joined by Colin Henderson on the phone today. We'll call it uh, weather-related issues, mainly on my end, as New Hampshire is getting hit with snow, so is New York. Probably not as bad here as there, I suspect, but in either event enough to kind of throw a monkey wrench into the day. Yeah, when you mentioned that I'm on the phone, I, wa- I was going to have to mention immediately afterwards, like, but not for Colin's fault. Like that, oh, definitely. Like there was going to be, no I was going to have to throw that out there. Because when you say on the phone, in most cases, especially on this show, it is because one of us is away or doing, or, or one of us is purposely out of the, not doing the show. This the time, area, yeah. Right, exactly. Out of this the area. time strictly um weather related business well all you have to do is just go out get your own set of equipment and there you go next time that i can't make it for whatever reason whether i just don't feel like it or there's weather or whatever it may be like then a true professional. you can just host it and i have to call in like a true professional oh yeah you know just go out drop i don't know a couple hundred bucks whatever you need to do i'm sure you have that lying around Oh, yeah, because living in New York City and during the Christmas season uh, just tends to leave tons of money in people's pockets. Yep, I mean, that's definitely the way it goes. I don't think anybody who lives in New York will argue with that, certainly. But in either event, it is pretty much the Christmas season already. I mean, next Saturday, exactly a week from today, is Christmas Eve. Can you believe that? And as a result, this will be our last show for two weeks because the holidays fall on the weekend uh, this year, Christmas Eve next Saturday, and then New Year's Eve the Saturday after that. So we'll be off for two weeks, then back in uh, 2017 and in force. So we'll try to go out with a bang here today, although, well, let's face it, the odds are generally stacked against us. But a lot going on in the world of sports, and it'll be a a football-laden show, as is usually the case around this time of year. The Giants coming off of far and away their biggest win of the year. They can clinch a playoff spot if they can beat the Lions this Sunday. Should be a good game. The Patriots still rolling along. We'll get into them at 220. The Jets, well, season's pretty much over, but I guess playing for pride if you want to call it that. Although in reality, they should just be playing for a draft pick, but they can't even do that right, it seems like. And at 3 o'clock, we'll do a little general NFL, too. Uh, get some big matchups this week. Bucks, the surprising Buccaneers at Cowboys. And Adrian Peterson is looking to come back this Sunday versus the Colts. That kind of came out of nowhere. That's a surprise, but certainly something to watch if he can rescue the Viking season. At 320, we'll change gears, get into a little NBA, talk some Knicks, maybe some Nets, maybe some Celtics too. The Knicks kind of a pleasant surprise. The Celtics, a little bit disappointing so far. And... Uh, the Brooklyn Nets, well, who cares, basically. That's the way to put that. And we'll finish up the show with a little NHL. The Rangers have been hot, then not, and now hot again. And everybody else kind of doing, holding serve, if you will, in New York. The Islanders had struggled. They've been hot lately. You know, Devil's kind of the opposite of that. But the big thing on everybody's mind still, I think, 
forget about walkie-talkie gate or whatever they want to call it, is the, the Giants somewhat surprisingly taking down the Cowboys last weekend. And in doing so, not only just about saving their season, because now with nine wins, there's a pretty good chance they could lose out and still make it, and certainly one and they clinch. But they've sort of stuck their foot forward and said, you know what, now we're for real, which is something that I think going into last week, Colin, neither of us were really sure about. And I'll be honest with you, Ricky, even after last week, I still hesitate to say that they're real. And uh, don't get me wrong. You take down a team that was 11-1, and one, that the only other loss that they had was week one against you when they were sh- when they were sporting a rookie QB and a rookie running back in their, in their debuts. Now, this is obviously the best win that the Giants have had. You and I have talked about on the show that the only win – that the Giants had had outside of that week one against the Cowboys of a team over 500 was Baltimore, who was on a three-game losing streak entering that game, that we hadn't seen them actually go and play four quarters against a true playoff top-notch team, something that really gives you a statement win in the NFC. Now, this is a statement win in the NFC. There's no doubt about that. But I, I hesitate to call them real only because, yet again, we saw an offense for New York that just looks ineffective at best. At best, it looks like an offense that can get you 17 points a game, 20 points a game. It doesn't look like it can go down. Yeah, it doesn't look like it can go down two scores and come back. It doesn't look like a team that you feel truly confident down three points and handing the ball to Eli Manning with a minute 45 to play and feeling like I'm definitely getting three points at the end of it. It's tough for me to call this team real until I start to believe that. That being said, the defense that proved to me on Sunday night that it is real. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to get to. If there's one thing that we did find out, it was that this giants defense is without a doubt for real. And this was what's remember the first week playing without Jason Pierre Paul, who has been, arguably their best defensive lineman this year and maybe their second best defensive player, well, third best defensive player after uh, Landon Collins and uh, and their defensive back, of course, who's been so excellent this year, uh, who was just signed. And I'm BSing right now because I just blanked on his name, of course. (laughs) You know who I'm getting at here, of course. But you bring in Romeo Aquara, who just out of nowhere ended up putting up a, a monster game Last week, he ended up leading the game with a a game-high eight tackles, and he he got a sack in there as well. Uh, I think on a third down, he made a a big stop. He got one player in space and just a perfect form tackle, put him right onto the ground. And we've heard a lot the last couple of years about various players who are going to be, you know, the next JPP and the next Osi Unamura and whoever else, and Romeo Aquara. It looks like he might actually be the guy who's able to live up to that billing right now. Now, it's only one game, obviously, but he showed he has some game. Is he as good as Jason Pierre-Paul is? No, of course not. He's only a kid. He was a fourth-round pick. You don't expect him to be a star right off the bat. But they need somebody who can have some athleticism and can get after the passer in Pierre-Paul's absence. And he showed, you know what, it's not a, a death knell. It's not a death sentence being without Pierre Paul. So that was obviously extremely impressive. Then obviously we know that they're pretty good against the run. 
Yeah, no, Get in there, this Colin. Is, I heard you're you for absolutely a right. We were waiting. You're absolutely right. We were waiting on to see what this defense would look like once JVP was out of the book. Now that he's officially out of the picture, what would it look like coming into a week? And I know that, as you mentioned, it's only one week, but there is some real positive notes to take from this. One is that the Giants were looking for someone to step up. They were looking for someone to step up. And the fact that he was able to do so on the Sunday night, nationally televised game against the offensive line that he was going up against, which is without a doubt the best offensive line in the NFL, one of the better offensive lines I've ever seen. I mean, the holes that Ezekiel Elliott gets to run through and the pressureless pocket that Dak Prescott lives in, it blows my mind in comparison when I'm watching other teams. So the fact that he was able to step up to the plate on the biggest stage under the brightest spotlight against the best offensive line in the game and turn in a performance like that, you can read more into one game than you normally can from that type of performance there. I could not agree with you more. This is a huge boost for the Giants. And again, I don't think either of us, and you and I didn't have a show last week, but I guarantee you if we did, you and I would not have sat here and expected the Giants to hold Dallas to under 20 points. And even with as good as the Giants defense has been, you just say, okay, well, if they hold them to 21, 24 points, that's a good defensive performance. Be just simply yeah, because of how good Dallas's offense has been. The fact that they were able to hold them to as few points as they did is just tremendously optimistic. And, you know, it certainly gives every Giant fan, every Giant player confidence moving forward. That offense just needs to back it up. Yeah, exactly right there. And I'm sure if we did have a show last week, more than likely, neither of us would have picked the Giants. Let's, let's get that out of the way right off the bat. I don't think either of us really expected them to win that game. And the number that I had in my head in terms of what the Giants would have to get to offensively in that game, I don't think anybody saw 10-7, obviously. It's not 1986 anymore. You don't get a lot of 10-7 <laughs> games. But what I had in my head was about 28 points, perhaps 24 that the Giants needed to get to to win that game on Sunday. I thought if the offense obviously needed to show something, they didn't. That's the the downside of the victory. But you're right. Nobody saw with the way that that Dallas team has been running the ball. Nobody saw the Giants holding them seven points. Nobody saw with the way that Prescott has been protecting the football. And without Jason Pierre-Paul, of course, nobody saw the Giants holding seven points and turning Prescott over multiple times. It just hasn't happened this year. So on the one hand, you have that incredible positive, but we can't just stick with the positive because with the, the alarming thing about this Giants team has been as good as the defense has been. As Landon Collins is an emerging star, and Janoris Jenkins is proving to be one of the, the rare big-time free agent signings that is actually worth the money. More often than not, you sign a guy like that, it blows up in your face. Jenkins has been worth every penny and then so thus far. But this is still an offense that has done next to nothing the last several weeks. We're talking about seven points versus the Cowboys, 14 versus the Steelers, and one of those, I believe, was a garbage time touchdown. 27 against the Browns, but it's the Browns, and even at that, they did not look good at all. Just 22 against the Bears. This is a team that has not topped 28 points yet. Now, that's their season high this year. This is a team that has not gotten to 30 yet this year, which just seemed impossible. And at a certain point, and 
are all of the problems Eli Manning? No, of course not. But at a certain point, when you have Eli Manning, who is a two-time Super Bowl winner, who is a Super Bowl MVP, and who's going to be up top 10 pretty much statistically in every category when he does retire and will almost certainly be in Canton five, six, seven years after he does eventually retire, he has to raise his game. And the issue is offensively for the Giants, Eli, instead of being part of the solution, he's looked like part of the problem. No, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Uh, and this is, and you and I have talked about it on the show, so I'm not going to get into it here. The the idea that bringing um, that bringing McAdoo back as the head coach was to keep this offense humming. That was the whole point. Exactly. The defense yeah. was so bad last year. The offense was very good last year. They said, let's focus on keeping the very good part. That all made sense. That has not been the case. No offense can be built on the, all right, let's hope for a six-yard slant past Odell Beckham Jr. and let him run for 62 yards. An offense can't be built on that. And while you're absolutely right, Eli Manning has looked more problem than solution. And But again, this is Eli Manning who, for the vast majority of his career, for stretches of times, looks like more of the problem than solution. Mm-hmm. The Giants have been able to win in those previous times because, at the very least, they had more big play potential without sacrificing the small plays. So when right now under Kevin Gilbride, which I remember both of us, you and I, both bemoaned his offensive game plan, which was run the ball on first and second down and then launch a ball 50 yards down the field and hope that somebody catches it. That was essentially the Kevin essentially, Gilbride offense. Yeah, that was the Giants' game plan. There's no arguing right. that at that all. Was, right. So then we went to Ben McAdoo, who had this very pretty West Coast, get it out of Eli's hand in less than three seconds kind of system. And it worked very well. It seemed like everything was going right. And all that the Giants did from last year to this year is to bring in a, a better backup rookie Q, a running back and – bring in Sterling Shepard, a rookie wide receiver who looks like a legitimate NFL wide receiver. That's the only change in this offense that has come from last year to this year. And yet the offensive play calling has now just simply become six yard screens, six yard slants, and then just balls launching up into the air. And it just does not make any sense and it's not working, but there's no change occurring. Yeah, and the one thing that we have seen, I think, in recent weeks, when you look at the Giants' offense that is somewhat of a pleasant surprise, is that when it became pretty obvious that the Giants were just not going to be able to block well enough up front to launch those balls downfield that we've seen so often in the last couple of years that have been their bread and butter, the deep balls to either be Beckham or, well, Cruz had not been healthy, but early in the season we saw a couple deep ones to Cruz, whoever it may be, but mostly to Beckham the last couple of years. It became pretty obvious the Giants were not going to block well enough and long enough for that to be a feature in the offense. So what we have seen is we've seen a little bit more of Beckham over the middle. We've seen twice, actually, in the last couple of weeks that Beckham has been the hero in taking a short slant and taking it 50, 60 yards downfield. Obviously, last week, and I believe it was the Bears game, too, that he took a short slant and ran all the way downfield, and that ended up making him the hero of the game. So we've seen more of that, which is, it's a no-brainer. I mean, it's an absolute must at this point, because the Giants do have small, speedy, quick receivers who can make something happen after the catch, and they can't block. We know that. Is it possible 
to run an effective offense when you struggle up front, but you have talented wide receivers? Well, let's ask Aaron Rodgers with the Green Bay Packers. I'm going to go ahead and say yes, because this has been an issue with the Packers for a long, long time that we've seen them be unable to run the ball and unable to pass block, yet Green Bay always figures it out. If they don't run the ball, you know what? We don't care. I'll let Rodgers throw it 40 times. The Giants, the issue has been, if they're not running it, and Eli, his bread and butter is going deep, we've seen them try to be a bit creative. They run almost entirely out of a three-wide receiver, one-back, one-tight-end set. We don't really see a lot of empty sets or anything like that. It's The issue becomes, where do you even go, really? I think number one has to be that there has to be somebody in the game plan other than just Odell Beckham. Because it's seen the last couple of weeks in particular, Victor Cruz, Sterling Shepard, Shane Vereen made a cameo last week, then he got hurt again, but he's expected to be back. Everybody outside of Beckham, and I suppose your featured back, Rashad Jennings, barely gets any touches at all, and that can't be the case either. It can't be as good as Beckham is, as tremendous a singular talent as he is, it can't just be a one-man show. So there has to be another way to get these other guys involved. Although, remember, Ricky, he was a one-man show since the second he put on his cleats in week seven of the season two years. Well, I'm not saying he's upset about that at all. I'm just saying that ideally that's not the way you're going to run an offense. No, and I'm not saying that it is an ideal way to run an offense, but... Look at the stats since Odell Beckham Jr. has come up and entering this year when considering he was essentially like 75% of their total offense over the last, you know, 21 games entering the season. And they were in the top 10 of basically of offense at the end of the year in both of those seasons. So what's unbelievable to me is the fact that, oddly enough, you can build an offense almost entirely around Odell Beckham Jr., it's not ideal, as both of us agree, but it's proven that you can. The problem is that Odell Beck, when you don't pass him the ball until the third quarter, which we've seen in games this year where we hear them come out of half and say, oh, well, we need to get Odell Beckham Jr. involved. Yeah, well, why weren't you getting him involved in the first quarter, in the first five minutes of the game? Why does this always suddenly get pushed to the second, third, fourth quarter when suddenly now he flicks a switch and moves up. If you're going to, if Odell Beckham Jr. is your best offensive player, you need to get him the ball as much as possible, as early in the game as possible. Because right now it's very clear that outside of the occasional route to Sterling Shepard, Eli Manning trusts zero people on this team to throw the ball to. And if that's the case, then Odell Beckham Jr. has to be more involved because right now it just seems like this offense just has no idea where it's going. See, to me, I, I look at that, all right, obviously do you need Beckham as involved as possible? Yeah, that's a no-brainer. But it, it can't just be the complete and total one-man show. Have they at times frozen him out to a degree in the first half? Yeah. Is that by design or is that just ineffectiveness? I'd say the latter most likely. I think it was just ineffectiveness. Yeah, ineffectiveness. That it, they just haven't been able to do anything, so they haven't been able to get Beckham the ball at times. But when we're talking about a guy who has 134 targets this year, Shepard is next with 84, everybody else is at 50. The point is that the ball needs to spread around a bit more. And I think what I'm getting at really is that we need to see more than maybe 16 completions out of Eli a game. Perhaps that's what I'm getting at here. It's not so much take away from Beckham. 
It's get everybody else involved and get some more completions, which the Giants have not had. That right. might be the and solution, talk, really. Right, and when you talk about a team being real, as we started off this segment talking about, are the Giants for real? I think one, the moment you'll know when the Giants are real, the defense is real. That's established. But add to, to bring up your point, you'll know when the Giants' offense is real is when you believe that they can go 10 plays, 80 yards, two to three times a game. When you believe that they could sustain a drive, not the six-yard slant to Odo Beckham Jr. that he breaks four tackles and goes 65 yards. That's not a sustainable offense. That is the Yankees' offense when all they did was hit home runs. That's not something that's going to win you games late into the postseason. The second that you believe that the Giants can go 80 yards on 10 plays and chunk seven and a half minutes off the clock two to three times a game, that's when you'll know they're real. And we're right now... And because they are unable to sustain drives means that Eli passes the ball less in good situations, which means that his completions go down, which means that this offense is constantly putting their own defense on the backfield and asking them to do more because they're not flipping the field. And these are the problems that the Giants have been able to mask overall thanks to a relatively weak schedule and taking down the Cowboys on Sunday. But with the next four games here, very interesting four games that, as you said, they need to win one of. Three of them are going to be against postseason teams. The Giants are going to have to prove us, prove to us before the playoffs, assuming that they will make it. The Giants are going to have to prove to us then that they can sustain those drives. So we'll take a break, and out of the break, we'll finish up with the Giants and then continue on with football. You're listening to New York Peace of Mind here on ESPN New Hampshire. Back here on New York Peace of Mind, Ricky Sobrano alongside Colin Henderson on this Saturday afternoon, taking you up until 4 o'clock and then into the upcoming holiday weekends. We'll be off the next two weekends after this, so I suppose get your fill while you can. So we're talking Giants before the break, and we'll continue on with that for a little bit. Really didn't talk about the Lions at all yet, the upcoming matchup this week. Detroit, obviously not quite the the big-time marketable matchup of Dallas, but still 9-4 and four and a team that is almost certainly going to be in the playoffs unless they completely collapse. They're on top of the NFC North right now at 9-4. and four. Minnesota second, along with Green Bay, at 7-6. and six. The two of them in a tight fight for a wild-card spot, most likely. So Detroit in a, in a very similar spot, almost identical spot to the Giants right now. Basically, you win and you're in, and then that's it. And this is a team that has had one of the, the bigger turnarounds in the league this year. They were once upon a time 1-3 and three and pretty much left for, de- left for dead. And since then, they've won, let's count it up, 8 of 9 and 5 in a row in almost every single game in cardiac, nail-biting fashion. They've come from behind and I believe, all but one win this year. So they've... Kind of similar to the Giants, it's in an ironic way. Two teams that are so similar this year. A team that has a a very good record, but they haven't done it in convincing fashion, to say the least. A team that has a lot to prove, much like the Giants did and still do. Now, first off, before we get into the Lions a little bit more, I want to, because I'd never miss an opportunity, I want to pat myself on the back 
a little bit. I wish we had the recording synced up. Of oh, when, that's right. I remember now. That's right. Of me picking the Lions to make the playoffs this year. I'm taking credit for that. But all of the back padding aside. Forget about the fact that half I of your other picks were dead wrong. But Well, hey, hey, look, I only focused on the one pick. All right. Don't, don't bring up the rest. <laughs> all right. Don't bring it up. All right? They only remember one the one good one. Just remember, Colin. Exactly. I have a very selective memory when it comes to my predictions. And I just crush all of my predictions by that logic. Oh, and by the way, I am the one, I believe, of the two of us to pick the Raiders to make the playoffs. I just want to point that out. I believe you did. I believe you were the... All right, whatever. We're moving past that. Just I was supposed <laughs> to do one little backpack. You weren't supposed to bring yourself. 10-3 and three beats 9-4. Um, and four. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to the Lions, however, I don't think... <laughs> when you talk about the Lions and Giants and the parallels between the two, same records have, as you said, one in less convincing fashion. I think there is something... There is something a little bit more to be said about Detroit. Detroit, for the last five years, has really always been synonymous with unable to close out games, unable to close out seasons, just you know, either having a really good start and blowing it, or just having a great first three quarters, not being able to win it, whether it's bad timeouts or turnovers or whatever. That has always been Detroit's MO. So the fact that this year, that they have trailed in every single game that they've won. Every single game. He has Matt Stafford with three weeks left of the season has already set the NFL mark for comeback wins in a season. What Detroit's doing right now is impressive. And for all the sports fans out there who have that feeling of, you know, you know, we always throw around the team of destiny, the momentum, all the rest. This right now is feeling like that kind of team. This is feeling very Cleveland Indians-y. This is feeling, you know, very uh, a team that no one really expected just kind of playing above their weight. Now, With no more Megatron this year, obviously. Everybody saw them taking a step back. Right, exactly. So it's been what they've done is nothing short of impressive. And I will say that I think I trust Detroit more than I trust New York right now simply because I don't feel – the I don't feel like New York can come back in a game because of how ineffective that offense has been. Detroit has proven time and time again this year that no matter what they're down, and they've been down by 20-plus points in games and come back to win, that they're not giving up for four quarters, something you did not see from Detroit over the last five, ten years, and it's been impressing me so far. Well, what it comes down to right now really is who do you trust more, Eli or Matthew Stafford? And right now, at this immediate juncture, week 15 of the 2016 season, you trust Matthew Stafford more. You just Matt do, Stafford, because he's had a better season. Doubt. Yeah, there, there isn't doubt. really much arguing that. Stafford, is, as you said, he's come back in pretty much every game this year. The only win that they did not trail in was the Saints win two weeks ago when they took that one 28-13. I mean, every other win. Beat the Bears by three, come back late. Beat the Vikings by three, come back late. They trailed to the Jaguars. They trailed to the Vikings the first time on the road. It is, it's amazing the margin of victories, except for that one Saints game. They have not won a game by more than seven points. That was the Jaguars one. Nope. And most of them were talking one point against the Eagles, three points, so a field goal multiple times, four points week one versus the Colts. It's it's amazing, without a doubt. 
what the Lions have done this year. That's the only way to put it. It is absolutely amazing. And the funny thing is that we've seen in years past out of Detroit teams, and you mentioned their inability to close, we've seen them with, at times, a top-10 defense. We've seen them with, at times, a top-10 offense. Well, this year, they don't have either of that. They have, well, they're just barely a, bo- a top-10 defense. They're 10th exactly in points against per game. They're pretty good against the run. They're not great against the pass. And offensively, 22.5 points per game, that's just 17th. And passing yards, which is generally something that in years past we've seen Stafford very, very high in terms of interceptions and yardage, but Maybe not that great when it terms to coming down the stretch of ball games, when it terms to clutch situations, when it terms to touchdown interception ratio. This year, the yards are down, but he's only been picked off seven times. So this is the complete and total antithesis of every Lions team we've seen, really of the last five, six years at least, when year after year they seem to be an underachiever. They are, as you said, Colin, very much the overachiever this year. So really, when you forecast this game, it's very, very difficult to do so. The one thing that I can say is that it should be very, very tight. It should be a one-score game because that's how both of these teams play. Neither of them has shown much of an ability to blow anybody out. And it should really come down to one possession. No Theo Riddick in this game. The starting running back for the Detroit Lions. But Detroit doesn't run the ball anyway. Right. They don't run the ball, but he is a huge weapon for them outside the backfield. You're right about that. The Giants linebackers and Giants linebackers have had struggled so far this year in containing certain pass-catching backs. So, Theo Riddick not being on the sideline is is a big benefit for the New York Giants in this game. But you're absolutely right when you say that this game is going to be close. I was like, there's no way I'm putting any money on this game when I'm looking down the spreads at the end of the week. Oh, it's got to be no a way. pick'em, basically. I'd imagine it's, the spread is what one, maybe two. Less, I, I couldn't be. Sh- I'd be shocked if it's anything more than a field goal. Yeah. So we are talking about a game that is going to be that close, but when it comes down to a close game like this, to bring up the point that I made before, is I think right now, if it's a tie game with eight minutes to play in the fourth quarter. I, I feel like Matt Stafford's going to pull out the W and Eli's not. And that's just the way that the season has kind of been feeling, even though both teams have nine wins. You know, it's obviously you just put a W on the board. That's all. That's the most important thing. But I, I just, I feel like if this game is close, which as we expect, so it's within three points at the eight minute mark in the fourth quarter. I just think Detroit ends up taking it home just because, they seem to do it week in and week out. And the line, by the way, I just checked somewhat shockingly almost. Giants four and a half. So you know what? Maybe you do bet on this one because I don't know if I see the wow. Giants winning this game by five. And on top, well, I guess coming off of last week, the Giants, a, a hot team, not sure what it started at. And it still says here 59% of the bets on the Giants. So maybe everybody buying into the Giants big time and not so much the Lions. That's a shockingly high spread for two teams that almost always play three-point games. And I know Theo Riddick is out, but Marvin Jones is in, Golden Tate is in, unless unless those designations change overnight. Um, You know, the rest of that offense is in. Ebron is questionable. Everyone's going to be talking about Matt Stafford some. 
he has come out and said that it won't affect his ability to throw the ball. That might also be a factor in there as well. If people are uh, are judging him as unable to throw the ball, then this offense becomes anemic real quick. But uh, again, at the end of the day, though, I think both of us do agree that this is a one-possession game with eight minutes to play in the fourth, and I'd be shocked if it were anything other. Yeah, and I'll stick with you with the prediction, too. I was kind of waffling back and forth on this one, but what it comes down to really it's, is that... It's going to be close, yeah. It's gonna yeah, be it, it's going to be very, very close. I don't expect the Giants' defense to be able to turn in that type of flat-out heroic performance. And make no mistake, it was a heroic performance against the Cowboys last week because that offense gave them nothing. They were on the field the entire game, as has been the case most of the season, if not all of the season. You can't expect that every week. You just can't. It's just not realistic. I think the defense will play well, and the offense, until they show me more, until they show that they can sustain a drive, that they can do something other than just hope someone breaks one for a 60-yard run down the field, I'm going to have a tough time picking the Giants against a good team, and this is a good Lions team, and they stop the run, and the Giants cannot run. We know that. So as long as the team can stop the run and put them in third and longs. I don't know if the Giants are going to pull it out. I will say this will be tight. I'll say 21-17. Tight right against the end. Giants can't clinch this week, but they'll have a a shot again, of course, next week against the Eagles and then the Redskins. They finish up on the road. So really, it's all on the Giants' offense this week and the last three games of the season. How far the Giants go will depend almost entirely on Eli Manning's arm and Ben McAdoo's game plans, largely, if the Giants can figure it out or not. So we will take a break and out of the break, we will move on to the New England Patriots. You're listening to New York Peace of Mind here on ESPN New Hampshire and the ESPN radio app. 1250 ESPN New Hampshire, Manchester's local ESPN. Back here on New York Peace of Mind, Ricky Sobrano alongside or along with rather Colin Henderson on this Saturday afternoon, taking you up until 4 o'clock. Kind of went a little long on the Giants so far today. Uh, so now we'll move on and we'll stick in New York and talk about the New York Jets. And the Jets season pretty much over at this point. It's all over but the crying, safe to say. The Jets are now 4-9 and nine and play. Now we get into the end of the year, so we get these weird Saturday night games. And the Jets drew that straw, so yet again, the Jets will be in a primetime game. They'll be taking on the division rivals, the Miami Dolphins. That's tonight in 8-25 kickoff. Yeah, I'm not going to be very optimistic about the ratings for that one. What about you, Colin? No. I mean, it's a New York market. <laughs> Who so... is going to watch that? Who is going to watch that? Um, Not even Jets fans. Diehard Jets fans, Miami Dolphin fans. Will no, no, no. Diehard Jets fans are rooting for the Jets to lose at this point, so they're not watching. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt, but they're still going to tune into the game. Miami Dolphins fans will be there, and anyone still hungover from whatever they were doing Friday night, from the Christmas party last night. I assume those are the only people. Yeah, I'll give you that. So we say diehard Jets fans, Dolphins fans, there aren't any of those really, and hungover people. Okay, that's about and it. So the, that'll deal. Look, there's you know, a lot maybe, of Christmas uh, parties going around right now, so a lot of people are feeling the uh, the next day burn, and not everyone's uh, able to to bounce back quick. So yeah, I can see those people staying in on a Saturday night to watch this game. 
other than that, it's about it. Was that uh, speaking out of experience right there, Colin? Oh, oh, in the past, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Uh, I was, I was saying maybe today exactly. Oh, not today. Or is today no, just not sick? today. Not today. Not today. Literal sick. Not actual legitimate sick. sick. Two, okay, two okay. separate. So a little bit different. All right. Just wanted to check. You know, want to know what I'm dealing with here. That's all. You're very, you're very, you're a very kind and generous and thoughtful man. Oh, you know I am, no doubt there. Uh, speaking no of kind and generous, that was the San Francisco 49ers last week where they gave away a game against the Jets where they were up once 17 to nothing and appeared to be just on the verge of winning a game 31 to 7 or something along those lines. The Jets were just not even in the first half of that matchup looked like they hit the snooze and were just not going to show up at all. San Francisco did pretty much whatever they wanted the first half of that game. And then wouldn't you know it, once everybody turned it off and stopped watching, the Jets actually came back and they win in overtime 23-17 to with that effectively destroying their legitimate chances of getting a top two, top three pick because the Browns are still winless and now the Niners are 1-12, and 12, so now the Jets are optimistically hoping to get in the top five, assuming they don't harm themselves too much and actually win a couple of these remaining games. So at this point, is there a positive to take out? I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. What, what to say about the Jets, trying to spin it in a positive way, because they would have been better off losing that game. Everybody knows that. There was no benefit in them coming back against a, a bad Niners team, a Niners team that was even worse than they are. I, I suppose the only positive is that they haven't completely quit on Todd Bowles, and that was perhaps a legitimate question coming in the last week's game. Uh, Bryce Petty looked competent, but it doesn't seem like, with the Mitch Trubisky reports, it doesn't seem like anybody on the Jets' front office or in that staff, and whether it be Woody Johnson or McCagnan or whoever it may be, it doesn't seem like anybody really believes that Petty is the answer. So what is it? There is no positive to winning that game last night is really what we're getting at here. There was one positive, and you mentioned it, is the fact that this Jets team hasn't completely quit on Todd Bowles. Because if they had gone out and that game had ended as it very much was looking like, 31-7, in favor of the one-win San Francisco 49ers after two embarrassing no-shows on primetime venues on Monday night as well, after two embarrassing no-shows to get blown out by San Francisco, that's it. That's, that's game. Like, you know, as much as you can say, oh, well, we still believe in the head coach, we still like him, He's lost the locker room at that point if you get blown out by the San Francisco 49ers. So the fact that they were able to come back, they rallied, they came back, they won, they came out after halftime and played that much better means that his message is still getting across to some years in the locker room. That is the only positive that you could take from that win last week for all of the reasons you just mentioned. Bryce Petty very much looking like he'll play out the end of this season and then probably never see this field again, barring catastrophic injuries on some other team. You know, we know that obviously you bring up Trubitsky. There's, you know, we all forgot that the Jets spent a second round pick on Christian Hackenberg last year. And, and he'll never see the are field. The Jets, who's yet to see the field, but he's a second round pick. And is, that's not surprising. Um, you know, he is just a rookie. This isn't like three years in and they're still benching him for some 
for Bryce Petty here. He just got drafted, so that's fine. But spending a second-round pick one year and then a first-round pick the next year on quarterback, not ideal. Um, also, there's not there's even a question of whether Trubisky comes out this year. He, there's still a um, a consensus that he might return to the to the college ranks next year, play out a good season, and have a legitimate shot at being the number one overall pick the following year. So yeah, only a one-year starter on so that. far. Right. So so before we look that far down the future, you're absolutely right when you say the Jets winning that game last week hurt them overall in the in the draft class. And, you know, they have the ability against a Miami team that is going to be without Ryan Tannehill that you got to figure is going to hand the ball off to Jay Ajayi 45 times in that game with the, with the Jets supposedly having a good run defense that is going to be tested in this game. It's not unscrupulous to think that the Jets could have a shot in this game just simply because the other team is playing with Matt Moore, their backup quarterback. And could the Jets end up, for lack of a better term, shooting themselves in the foot with another win? Tonight, I, I, don't, I think it's going to be close. Yeah, I wouldn't completely rule that out because, again, the Dolphins are not an overwhelming team by any stretch of the imagination, and losing Ryan Tannehill and it ended up being nowhere near as bad as it could have been. They're saying it's just a, a sprain, and they were saying at first that he had torn his ACL or MCL or both, whichever exactly it was, and that would have been a death knell altogether because Tannehill has been very, very good for that team this year but yeah you look at the remaining three games you've got Dolphins Patriots next week on Christmas Eve and then uh, the Bills on New Year's Day it's definitely conceivable they win one perhaps even two when you look at the situation that the Bills are in at six and seven and will Rex Ryan even play out the year or will he get fired and obviously you look at next week against New England and that will figure to be a washout for all intents and purposes. There doesn't really seem to be much of a reason to believe the Jets can even hang close in that one as long as New England has anything conceivable at all to play for. And they probably will still next week have home field advantage on the line. So that'll be the last one that we see their starters most likely. But yeah, could the Jets win this week? Yeah, definitely not out of the realm of possibility. The defense is still capable of playing reasonably well. I mean, the secondary is a weakness. We know that. But with Matt Moore, it arguably doesn't really matter. Bryce Petty has shown, you know what, against a bad team, he can throw for 250 yards at least. Dolphins not a a bad team per se, but not what you would call an overwhelming defense by really any stretch of the imagination. And Dolphins are just 2-4 and on the road as well. Not that the Jets have been any good at home this year, just 1-5. and But, yeah, there's reasons to believe that they won't get blown out. I think that's fair to say, and... Truthfully, could I see them winning this game? Yeah, not impossible. I'll, I'll pick the Dolphins to win just because they have a lot more to play for, and they are 8-5, and five, and conceivably, if you completely mail in the first half against the an actual playoff team, which it looks like Miami could be, then odds are they'll put you away and you won't be able to come back. It's just the 49ers are so bad that they let the Jets back into it. It wasn't so much what the Jets did. It was more what the 49ers didn't do. They missed two field goals. They had a various other chances that just put the Jets away and put the game out of its misery, and they didn't do it. And the Jets, yeah, to their credit, they fought back and got back into it. Miami, more than likely, if they do get up, they'll kind of step on the Jets' throat to a degree, and 
maybe they'll be able to put this one away early. I don't know. We'll see. It will really all depend on how Ajayi does and how the Jets' run defense does. And the Jets' run defense, let's remember, did nothing last week. They gave up over 200 yards on the ground. So if you're looking for, well, something that they didn't do, if you're looking for still what was once the strength of this team, what was thought to be the strength of this team, was Leonard Williams, who's still an emerging star, but the other two guys, Mo Wilkerson and Sheldon Richardson, well, they've been all they've been doing lately is talking. That's about it. They've been talking, 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 and not doing much on the field. Right. No, no, you're absolutely right. And that's why I, I mentioned that before, that this is supposed to be a good run defense. So they will have their test this week against Ajayi, as we both will, will get 25-plus carries in this game. There's no doubt about that at least 25 touches because he's also being more and more involved in pass catching roles. And with Matt Moore, you got to figure that there are plenty of dump offs to be had. This game is going to come down to how well Matt Moore plays and how well the Jets run defense plays, because if they're able to limit Matt Moore and, and again, more importantly, are they able to limit Ajayi from going off for 200 yards like Carlos Hyde looked like he was going to get last week. I believe they gave up 135, 140 yards in just the first half. To yeah, him. Hyde went for a and 193 it was, it was total. Yes. So, and and like I said, I think 140 of those came in the first half. Yeah. So, if they are able to hold the Jai to under 100 yards, this is a very winnable game for the Jets. The question then obviously stems to, what's the point of winning other than team morale? because you're hurting yourself in that kind of future spot. But look, this is a team that could use a legitimate win for the betterment of the franchise right now in its own mind and doing it against a division rival who is fighting for a playoff spot and playing spoiler. That might not, that might be something that at least the jets can put a pin in this year and say, we want to bring this to next season. Quickly is bulls in trouble. He is. If they lose, if they no-show, they continue to no-show in games, then yes. That's the reason why that win last week was so important was because they came back and they showed that he still has – people are still listening to him in the locker room. If he loses the locker room, I can't imagine them bringing him back only because you, it's very tough to regain it. But yeah, I, I'm I think more likely with that he closes out I the think... year. He closes I... out the year and probably comes back next year for, a, for one last legitimate shot. He was a two – hot of a coaching prospect when the Jets got him for then not to give him as much of a leash as they can get. And perhaps most importantly, McCagnan hired him and McCagnan GM. If his coach is gone, if his hand selected coach, who was, as you said, one of the hot commodities after the season that he had as the defensive coordinator with the Arizona Cardinals, if he goes out in two years, that does not look very good on McCagnan. So yeah, I think he does get another shot next year as well. They'll sort of say, you know what, uh, give him an excuse and say, well, he didn't really have an offense, didn't really have a quarterback. But if he loses all three of these final games, Dolphins, Patriots, and Bills, if he loses the both, the Dolphins and Bills, and if it is in, as Colin said, in, in dramatic fashion, if it is in no-show fashion, then he could be in trouble. But that's a, a long shot right now. We're running up against the station break, and out of the break, we'll move on to the New England Patriots. Listen to New York Peace of Mind here on ESPN New Hampshire. 